Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our country. Greetings and welcome back to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathbun. Our website is an economy of one.com an economy of one.com as is our facebook an economy of one you got comments or questions don't hesitate to go on there and shoot me an email you can see what i'm reading see what our producer puts on there our phone number if you'd like to give me a call 844-244-3750 toll free from everywhere 844-244-3750 Five, three. It's been an interesting week this week. A couple positive things happen. Uh, it's kind of unusual coming out of the government. But earlier this week, um, ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, came out and said, well, we're going to temporarily suspend our proposal to ban um, 556 ammunition. Now, for those of you that have been following this, the green tip ammunition is kind of a varmint. Uh, load for uh, 556 or 223 oftentimes and uh, caused a lot of ha- uh, a lot of angst around the country people were buying it by the truckload as much as they can get their hands on the price shot up through the roof but they opened it up two things destroyed this or not destroyed it put it off and it's important that you understand this two things one they opened it up to public comment and they received about 80,000 negative comments from you guys telling them not to ban this ammunition. Now, we've said for a long time that that's how I think the government is going to impose their views on gun control is through banning ammunition. Now, they can and have banned guns, but there's a lot of guns out there, and they'd have to go door-to-door confiscating or or something like that. So I think they're going to tax or ban ammunition out of existence. The second thing that came out this week that was very, very important in uh, the ATF postponing this ban was the manual, the ATF manual or or um, brochures that came out 
in April or May, coming out soon, already included the phrases of banning this this ammunition. So even though they came across as trying to be objective, put it out to public opinion, that kind of stuff, they'd already assumed they were going to do it. Didn't matter what you thought. So those 80,000 emails or letters that went to them that expressed a negative uh, on banning it, plus the release of the manual that assumed they were going to ban it anyway. That's what killed them. That's what killed it. That's what postponed it, at least for now. The fight has just begun. We won temporarily. It's very important we keep up the pressure, keep up the heat. In that vein, coming up, Tom Gresham, host of the nationally syndicated show Gun Talk, will be joining us to talk about this very issue. It's an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. We are back. We're joined now by Tom Gresham, host of the nationally syndicated show Gun Talk. Tom, welcome to the yes, show. Sir. Hey, Gary, how are you? I'm well, and you? Oh, man, good news today, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> the only thing that bothered me about that is the word temporary. You you caught that, didn't you? Yeah, I did, you know, but uh, let's talk a little bit about that. That's why I wanted to have you on. Uh, Partially was the the ATF uh, essentially reclassifying, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the expert in this, uh, reclassifying uh, M885 green tip as armor piercing um, and with the possibility of being... What, fired out of a handgun? Correct. It will spin back uh, the ATF, which is the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau, mm-hmm. uh, many years ago had a criteria for what they call armor-piercing ammo. Back when everybody was worried about so-called cop-killer bullets, which right. did not exist, they came up with this silly thing, and they said, well, you know, if it's fired from a handgun and, <laughs> and it's made of this kind of material and it's got, like, zirconium, whatever, tips on it, uh-huh. Uh, then we're going to classify it as armor piercing. Well, then, for some wild reason, we're not exactly sure why or what happened. About two weeks ago, it turns out ATF floated this idea that we're going to ban green tip ammo, which does not, under any stretch of the imagination, qualify under their very own criteria for the materials inside this bullet that's fired out of this 223 ammo. It just doesn't qualify. It's not armor-piercing by their own definition. But they said, we're going to ban it anyway because it'll go through body armor. Well, surprise, surprise. So will every deer rifle ever made. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, give yeah. me a break. So there's, there's something else at work. And then it turns out, and I think, frankly, I think the reason that they pulled this thing is because it slipped out that they had already, in documents, already printed listed this as banned, right. even though the comment period is, is currently open. Right. So they had no idea of paying any attention to the comments. They were just going to do it anyway. Right, right. You know, and, and that's, that always surprises me 
I, I tend to, to think maybe too generously that some of these people in these departments, some of these politicians, some of these aides, all that kind of stuff, you know, you, you would think they would understand that there are no secrets, that the Internet exists and this stuff is going to get out. I mean, you, you're a long veteran on radio. You ever walk into a room and assume all the mics are off? I mean, yeah. oh, not anymore. <laughs> not since that fine, right? That's but, right. That's just that, that, that one time it gets your attention. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I mean, it, it's it's the same with politicians saying, well, no, I didn't say that. Well, you do a little Internet search and boom, there it is on, on YouTube. And I'm saying the same thing. Now, you know, my thought was, <clears throat> has always been that there's no way they're going to ban guns. So they're either going to ban the ammo or tax it uh, to death so that our guns are potentially useless. I mean, uh, they did say temporarily suspend the proposal. Uh, we're going to see this again. Oh, yeah. And, and, it, it, uh, it never goes away. All, it, all they do is they back off and say, we're going to wait for the next crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, gonna, they're using the Rahm Emanuel you know, code of of honor, if you will, his plan, which is never let a crisis go to waste. Right. And so they're going to sit there and have this ready to go. And the next time that some goofball shoots somebody, they will whip this out and say, now we know this would do absolutely nothing to stop this, but you need to pass this anyway. Right. Right. You go, what? Excuse me, run that pass. And the media will go, yes, 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 it must be done. It must be done now for the children. <clears throat> and we're off to the races again. Well, and I saw one article today where somebody did use the phrase cop killers. Of course. And well, you know, these are the same people who pronounced the Glock pistol to be a plastic pistol, which was invisible when you right. tried to x-ray it. Right. But, of course, they'd never looked at it, which when you x-ray it, it looks exactly like a gun. It's got a pound of steel in it. Yeah. They come They come up with these clever phrases, assault weapon, right. cop killer bullet. Saturday night special, they're always finding a way to demonize what are nothing more than regular ammo and regular firearms. But to your point where, you know, they never go away, yes, you know, we say, well, they're not going to ban guns. Yes, they will. And they have. Mm-hmm. They have banned guns in the U.S. And if we are not careful, they will continue. And, you know, this is a 50-year, 100-year program. So right. if they only get a little bit of time, they're getting to where they want to go, and we are losing a little bit of the time. Right. Right. You know, it surprised me because I load my own. I, I, mm-hmm. every, everything I shoot, I load. Yeah. And uh, my brother is a professional shooter. He travels around the country and competes all the time. And I called him up to ask him a question about some components or or something. And he said, why, mm-hmm. are, you, why are you asking? And I said, well, ATF, President Obama, is, is going to try and ban um, – 556, which is related to 223, and I says, I want to make sure I, I got enough. And he said, oh, I haven't read anything about that. And I said, you're a professional shooter. How can you not know? And he says, well, I only use 9mm. And I said, well, it's 556 today. It'll be 9mm sometime in the future. You know? Yeah. And yeah, I first, said, first, first they came for the 223, right? Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. So, uh, I mean, do you, do you, once again, we both agree this isn't going away uh, permanently. They're going to bring it back. Well, my, my you know, to, to your point, let me jump in, because to your point with your brother, it's, um, it's 
incumbent upon all of us to find a way to make sure that we're always informed on this. Hmm. I mean, there are millions of gun owners and hunters who don't know what we're talking about right now because they haven't heard of it because they're just not plugged in. And then they'll wake up and go, what do you mean I can't buy that stuff? Well, yeah, you remember last year we were talking about it, and they're going, no, I never heard anything about it. Right. Each person's got to find a way to get plugged in. And first, I got to tell you, first step, baseline, the bottom line, you've got to be a member of the NRA, and you've got to be getting the alerts. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, we we, uh, did a little uh, on-show promotion a few weeks ago where I – Told all my listeners, uh, you know, buck up the twenty five dollars and and yeah. uh, maybe a little more and uh, join the NRA because I mean, had it not been for the NRA, had it not been for some shooting organizations, had it not been for the individuals sending lots of letters in the last couple of weeks, uh, it'd probably be banned today. Yeah, they have eighty thousand comments so far, and yeah, it was the NRA wow. and the Second Amendment Foundation and the. Gunners of America. It was every gun group out there. And look, I know there are people who say, well, I just don't watch the area. Okay, fine, good. Join some other group. I don't care. Right. But if you're not a member of at least one group, you know, this wagon that we're pulling around with all the gun rights in it, a lot of us are out here pulling it. And if you're not a member of any group, your fat butt is sitting in the wagon and we're getting tired <laughs> of dragging you around. That's right. That's absolutely right. And by the way, just a side note, you go into the. Uh NRA convention in Nashville in a few weeks? Oh, absolutely. We'll be doing the show from there. Oh, cool. great. I'll look you up because I think we're going to do our show from there. So uh, we met some of the uh, NRA people out at CPAC uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. I was on Radio Row. And uh, great people. They do a great job. And, <clears throat> you know, the NRA thing, I went last year in Indianapolis, uh, nine acres of exhibits. I mean, it, it's just oh, yeah. just heaven. <laughs> Just heaven, you know. Well, and, I got to tell you, I did uh, yesterday's show I did from Nuremberg, Germany on oh Saturday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was the uh, the biggest gun show in Europe that wow. I went to. And talk about different, fun, but different. So uh, I will tell you, you know what I had people coming up and telling me all the time? People from various European countries and from Australia and different places, and they uh-huh. all said, go back. And tell your people to get involved and get in the NRA because we didn't have that, and we lost so much. Now, they haven't lost at all. Right. They still are able to own some guns. If you say, Mother, may I and take 16 months of classes, and you have to keep your gun at the police station or a gun range, you don't get to oh, keep wow. it at home. And they all say, go back and tell your people to not be so apathetic. Get mm-hmm. involved because we didn't think we could lose it here. Right. And you can lose it there. Yeah, and it's it's virtually impossible to gain that liberty back once it's gone. Oh, I mean, it's, absolutely, absolutely we, true. We just can't get it back. But, uh, yeah. you know, given your experience and, and your involvement, I mean, this is what you do and, and uh, talk about all this kind of stuff. Um, where do you think we are going forward? I mean, do you do you see – I mean, I, I talked to some of the NRA people and – and some of them feel like we're turning the corner, that the awareness is getting out there, that people are appreciating uh, concealed carry and the gun rights, and, uh, and we're pushing to, to be able to go, to go across state lines and have states honor uh, CCWs, that kind of stuff. I mean, are we gaining, holding our own, or are we, we still losing a little liberty every day? 
you know, it really depends on the area and whichever community you're talking with. Uh, on the one hand, we have millions more gun owners and more mm-hmm. shooters, and a lot of women have gotten into shooting through the concealed carry, getting their concealed carry permits, because frankly, they get tired of being patted on the head and saying, little lady, don't you worry about it. We'll take care of you when they knew it was all a lie. <laughs> so you know, that's happening. We have a lot more people getting their concealed carry permits. On the other hand, we're facing the biggest challenge we've ever faced. We've never seen anything like the Michael Bloomberg billionaire money right. coming in on right. the gun ban side. And make no mistake, it's not gun control. It's gun bans. Mm. And they said, well, you know, we only want to ban these guns. Well, you know what, partner? That's a gun ban. And whenever they say we only want to do this, you have to hear in your head. They may not have said it, but you hear in your head at this time. Right, right. Right? And that's just what the ATF said, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm sure you've covered this on your show. We talked about it, I don't know how many months ago. When You remember when several states were trying to ban 30-round clips? Right. In magazine. And this one congresswoman, I forget her name. I should have looked it up. She was out in Denver or Colorado or somewhere. And somebody asked her, well, what about all the existing clips that are already out there? And she said, well, once you shoot all the bullets, it's empty. I mean, this is the level of ignorance that are making the laws out there. She didn't understand. You put more bullets into them. That, 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 that's like saying, well, once you run out of gas in your car, you have to trash it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a you great know, analogy. I mean, so uh, the, the, the level of ignorance and incompetence is there. But at the same time, make no mistake, they have the power and yep. the will to take and, and love it. People say, well, we have our, our Second Amendment, so they can't take away our gun rights. Yes, they can. Mm-hmm. You only have the Second Amendment as long as you will fight for it and you know, and continue to work for it. And, and that means showing up, giving money, being involved, making sure that you're getting, at the very least, weekly alerts on all of this. Right. right. You know, because otherwise stuff happens and you didn't know it, and then you go, wow. When did that happen? Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, you know, now you you get to become a non-gun owner. That's that's right. And and you know, I mean, we talk a lot about Second Amendment, but it's really all the amendments. I mean, I was out at CPAC, and, and a lot of the discussion was around First Amendment things you, you can't say anymore. Tom, this has been a true honor, true pleasure. We're speaking with Tom Gresham. Host of Gun Talk, seen here, seen here, heard here. <laughs> you can see waves, I suppose. Heard here every Sunday afternoon from 3 to 6. It's nationally syndicated and on XM Satellite Radio. Tom, I really appreciate you giving us a, the, the time this evening. I appreciate the work you do and the insight. And I hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon. Absolutely, Gary. Let's get together at the NRA show. I will definitely look you up because I will be there. Thanks again, Tom. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. That was Tom Gresham, host of Gun Talk. I'm Gary Rathbun. It's an economy of one. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. This is an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. We are back. Joining us now is Commander Kirk Lippold, United States Navy retired. He is the 
officer, the commanding officer of the USS Cole when it came under suicide terrorist attack back in 2000. Commander Lippold is currently serves as the president of Lippold Strategies, LLC, a consulting firm specializing in executive leadership development and long-range strategic planning. He also serves as the vice president for military policy and strategic development of Philip Stutson Company, Incorporated, a grassroots public affairs firm. Commander, uh, this is a true honor, sir. Thank you for your service. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be on the show. appreciate it. Uh, this is uh, a real privilege for uh, me and my partner, Doug, here. Um, I, you know, before I get into uh, what I wanted to talk about today, just it, give me just a little bit of insight of what you and your crew went through uh, in 2000 when you attacked. You lost 17 sailors, I believe, and 39 were were injured. What, uh, what, what? I don't want to say what was that like, but what was that like? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a question I get a lot. And uh, USS Cole is an Aegis guided missile destroyer. Uh, we were transiting from the Mediterranean into the Arabian Sea. Uh, we needed to stop someplace to get uh, fuel mm-hmm. because uh, the Navy with dwindling numbers of ships did not have an oiler underway that we could take fuel at sea from. And the Department of Defense and the Navy had negotiated fuel contracts with the country of Yemen and specifically the port of Aden at the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula. We pulled in that morning expecting to take on a quarter million gallons. Uh, We'd been pumping fuel for about 45 minutes. As part of routine import operations, we had contracted for three garbage barges to come out. Two came out took trash as normal. Third boat that came out we thought was the last garbage barge to do cleanup. Turned out was a uh, waterborne improvised explosive device with two suicide bombers that blew a uh, 40 by 40 foot hole in the side of the ship. uh, Immediately knocked out all power in the four two thirds of the ship. And that morning I was truly blessed with a great crew because when we were hit the announcing system to tell the crew what had happened, where to go, what to do, along with the backup system and the alarms were all knocked out. Wow. The crew wow. fell back on their training, and within less than two hours, they had the ship stable. And as a testament to how well they did saving their shipmates, in about 99 minutes, we evacuated 33 wounded off the ship, and of those 33, 32 had survived. Ultimately, wow. unfortunately, as you mentioned, we did lose 17 uh, brave sailors. And uh, 37 were uh, wounded and uh, subsequently awarded Purple Hearts for their uh, injuries. Wow. wow. That's the old adage that, that my dad always used to tell me, you do it right in drill, you'll do it right in life. And uh, it's, it's absolutely true. <laughs> so it, it's uh, a real testament to that. Now, you know, I, I, let's jump forward. Let's jump forward to now because we get into a lot of discussions uh, about ISIS uh, about Iran, about terrorist attacks on our own soil. Um, you know, I wanted to get some of your insight. I mean, was it um, was it Al Qaeda? I mean, was, was did they take credit for for poking a hole in your ship? I mean, who who was the the group that that uh, did that at the time? It was Al Qaeda. Uh, okay. They were very able. Uh, the FBI, in coordination with NCIS and the Yemenese authorities very quickly were able to determine uh, not only that it was al-Qaeda that the two suicide bombers were attached to, but the people that 
actually did the operational planning, got the explosives, everything else were directly related. As a matter of fact, the individual that got the explosives for the attack on USS Cole, uh, Ben Atash, would later be, um, Kalad was his name, he was directly tied in with the 9-11 attacks that occurred 11 months after the attack on USS Cole. So al-Qaeda was instrumental in conducting the attack on Cole that unfortunately through two administrations went unanswered. There was no U.S. response to that attack, which further emboldened al-Qaeda to be able to carry out the 9-11 attacks. You know, and that that brings me to the question. I mean, given your experience, and don't don't say anything that you shouldn't say. I don't want to compromise your integrity or, or your uh, uh, commitment to the Navy or anything like that. But given your experience, um, if you were in charge, how would you deal with ISIS today? How would you deal with these fanatics today? Well, I think that uh, in some ways we're taking a right approach by not engaging directly with them, by putting more boots on the ground. By the same token, I think we could be applying a lot more pressure, especially to, you know, really some of the larger uh, Sunni governments that are over there, especially mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, to get them to commit more of their military and industrial resources to do what's necessary to take on ISIS. Uh, They are distorting and have taken over the Sunni religion. Uh, Clearly, they're using it for their ends and purposes. Uh, It's a fight that I think in many ways the Jordanian defense minister had right following the burning of their pilot. And he said, this is a problem that we have to solve. And I Mm -hmm. think what the United States' best thing we can do is to try and create the conditions and encourage the nations over there to do what's necessary. Eventually, the United States may have to get involved in a more direct role, but I would just as soon have these other nations be challenged to go in there to take on ISIS while we can try and create the conditions, whether it is through air power, whether through economic sanctions, whether through encouraging and providing some of the logistics support to other these other countries that do it. But ultimately, I would like to see the Middle East countries come together to solve this problem. Why? Because, why I'm just going to go ahead. Go ahead. Why, why are they reluctant to do so? I mean, that, that, uh, that answer think, seems I, so obvious. Why are they reluctant to do that? I think it's a problem that we've been seeing the uh, the Muslim religion or the Islamic religion and these countries uh, uh, wrestle with now for 15 years. Uh, they don't want to fight what they perceive as their brothers, even though they have distorted their religion in a manner that is just inhumane and grossly disgusting, especially with the beheading of innocent civilians. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, that's why we're going to just need to apply that kind of pressure. And uh, eventually, if it comes to a point where ISIS were to grow in strength, where they had that strategic capability that I that Al Qaeda once had, and they launch attacks against us. Well, then all bets are off, and we will do whatever is necessary to go over and take care of the problem. And once taken care of, then we turn to these other nations and say, we're not coming back. And if we have to, there will be a heavy price to be paid by your governments and your nations. What do you think the likelihood is, and I know this is pure speculation, but what do you think the likelihood is of us having to deal with them on American soil? Uh, I think it's probably quite high. 
when you see all of the indicators, and especially when you get the director of the national intelligence, uh, General Clapper, as well as some of the uh, other people involved in the intelligence community, expressing their concern publicly that they believe that ISIS is beginning to gradually gain that strategic attack capability that uh, al-Qaeda once possessed, I think there is reason to be concerned. And, and we should begin to look at how are we going to react when, not if, that attack occurs here. While we may have already seen some lone wolf attacks, uh, obviously the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris, mm -hmm. there is no reason why a similar type attack couldn't occur here, especially when we already know that there are Americans that have gone over, they're gaining combat experience with ISIS, they're learning terrorist activities, they're learning how to build bombs and do things, and while we may be able to prevent 99 out of 100, you have to remember this is a zero-sum game, right. and all it takes is one person to get through that could wreak havoc on this nation. And while it may be a small, isolated attack, it will result in American deaths, and that's where we need to draw a red line that this president, this time, enforces, not just talks about, <laughs> and does what's necessary to defend our nation and our citizens. Where does, where does the Iran variable fit into this equation? I mean, we see a lot about uh, President Obama and the State Department trying to cut a deal with with Iran on, on nuclear weapons, delaying it 10 years, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, is Iran a, a major a major backfunder, if you will, of, of these kind of people? I mean, are, do they have a role on, on uh, supporting ISIS and, and the, the terrorism that they're bringing in here? Uh, no, Iran has no direct connection. Most of the terrorists that are associated with ISIS are of the Sunni uh, religious sect, whereas Iran tends to be the Shia sect. Uh, what you are actually seeing, though, is Iran is taking advantage of the turmoil and the disruption that is occurring in the area where ISIS has influence, specifically, obviously, Iraq and Syria, but also in Lebanon, potentially in Jordan, even potentially in the NATO ally in Turkey. And they are, while everyone is focused on that, they're on the march. Mm -hmm. They're on the move. They're negotiating on how many centrifuges they can keep as part of a nuclear agreement that we're working with the United States, and we can touch on that more in a minute. But clearly they back the Houthi rebels in Yemen that toppled the government mm -hmm. that was Sunni, that is now being run by Shia. So they're expanding their sphere of influence there. They're clearly working with the Iraqi government right now to train their armed forces as they push forward back toward Tikrit, eventually going toward Mosul. Um, and so you're seeing the Iranians gain influence and power, pushing way beyond their borders through Iraq and toward the north which creates more destabilization in that area because now all that investment in blood, sweat, and tears that we made in, 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 the, in Iraq mm -hmm. is going to be forfeited because we are allowing the Iranians to gain undue influence there. So Iran really is, now while not directly supporting ISIS, clearly is taking advantage of the international disruption that that terrorist group is causing. What would it mean, you know, and this is beyond my my thought process a little bit, but what would it mean to have a nuclear Iran? 
Uh, I think it would be incredibly destabilizing because every country in that region would immediately seek to gain their own nuclear weapons, Mm -hmm. both as a reactionary weapon and also to make sure that anything the Iranians did, that they would be able to match them one for one. It would just, it would be like when we first started out with the Cold War with the Soviets. Well, if you've got two bombs, we want four. You've now got four bombs, we want eight. And what you would see was literally a nuclear arms race begin to build in that region, which is already a powder keg and has gone through conflict over conflict over conflict. I mean, every major war that's occurred that has involved the United States has somehow originated around the Middle East in the past 20 to 30 years. So I think it would be incredibly destabilizing. And I think in many ways, if we do not flat stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon and provide them with a method to have a safe or a a peaceful nuclear program that you're going to end up destabilizing the Middle East beyond our wildest dreams. You know, I came of age at the end of the Vietnam War. Uh, I turned 18 in 1974, got my draft notice, then I got a letter that I didn't have to report. And I remember growing up thinking about Russia and the Cold War and, and nuclear weapons, and I never... I always felt that that Russia was smart enough and we were smart enough not to light the fuse on one of those. Um, I tend now at 58 to look at Iran getting the bomb or or any of these countries over there getting nuclear weapons. I I get the impression that they're they're very likely to, to set one off. I mean, is it was the old Cold War between us and Russia a little bit different than the attitude of of these people in the Middle East? I think it was. I think we were a bit more um, just in our thought process of how we did things. We were much more methodical, whereas they tend to be much more reactionary. Mm -hmm. And I think that in and of itself contributes to the stability we saw versus the instability that you're going to see if Iran does get a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Yeah, that's the impression I get. We're speaking with Commander Kirk Lippold. U.S. Navy retired, uh, former commander of the USS Cole when it was bombed in in October of 2000. Commander, uh, I got to tell you, this has been a true honor. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time in the, the evening here away from your family and, and chatting with us about this. And I hope uh, we can tap you on the shoulder again soon and, and continue the discussion. Thank you, sir. Appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Commander Kirk Lippold, U.S. Navy, retired. I'm Gary Rathbun. This is an economy of one. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. Now, back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Now is Commander Kirk Lippold. He's a great guy. Love talking to him. He'll be joining us again very, very soon to uh, keep up the conversation. I want to change gears a little bit. One of the big stories uh, that we've been hearing about all week is the uh, fraternity in uh, Oklahoma 
that uh, was caught on tape, uh, tape, I'm aging myself, that was recorded um, talking uh, very racist, foul language. And uh, a little bit later, we're going to have some some guests from the Cato Institute and that kind of stuff to talk about this. But I wanted to to use this to illustrate one point. Now, we're going to talk about free speech in the future and and what I think should have happened there. But, you know, we've been bombarded by that this week. One of the things that I wanted to talk about from this is people being offended. I am so sick and tired of people being offended. My thought process is it's like Gandhi. Gandhi said, no one, no one can hurt me without my permission. That means nobody can offend him without permission. It, it, it's just amazing to me that people allow themselves to get offended. You know, I, I grew up in an era where we weren't really that politically correct. And we were taught, now I'm a male, obviously, if that wasn't apparent to you, it it should be now. But I was taught to essentially be a man. And do I get annoyed by people saying things to me? Yeah, maybe. But I don't get offended. I am not politically correct. It's it's amazing to me that men no longer assume the responsibility of leading their family. Feminists have told uh, men in their family that uh, leadership is no longer intrinsically necessary. They no longer need to teach their sons how to become a man. It's okay to have your son play with Barbie dolls. They no longer challenge themselves or or live what Theodore Roosevelt used to call the strenuous life. Now, I read an article, or a transcript, I guess, of Stephen Crowder. He's a nationally syndicated radio uh, guy. And, and these are his thoughts that he's expressed on this, and I just really resonate with them. He says, never is the fall of masculinity more clearly on display than when grown adult men pull out the offended card. He says, any man that goes about with the word offensive on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and promptly have his man card revoked. And I couldn't agree more. I tell everybody that comes into my office, one thing that's very important, you always have to remember, you can never offend me. Now, some people take that as a personal challenge and try. I understand that, but it never works. I refuse to be offended by what anybody says to me or any question they ask. We need leaders. We need people that will not be offended in any situation. Being offended is the opposite of taking action. It's a definition of inaction. Most recently, President Obama was offended by Netanyahu speaking to Congress. Well, that shows to me what his thought process is. I will not be offended. I don't want you to be offended. 
But keep this in mind as we go through our day. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Don't be offended. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.